Welcome to everyone that's uh, joining us for the first time. Maybe you're visiting here this morning. Someone invited you to church or whatever happened that you are part of us this morning as a spiritual family. I want to say welcome from my side as well. My name is Jonathan. I have the great privilege of leading this congregation together with a group of elders. And, and thank you for being here with us. I really do trust that uh, you will experience something about God and something about spiritual family this morning. If you're part of our family, you would know that the, this morning looks a little bit different. It feels a little bit different. Some of you are sitting down and you're wondering, what is happening here? Um, and that's why uh, this morning, it's, it is different. This morning, we're doing something that we don't normally do on a Sunday. And we're going to celebrate in a different way. Now, to give this a little bit more direction, I want to explain what we've been busy with over the last couple of weeks. We are one church across our city meaning that we are different congregations, but we are one church, one every nation church across our city. But we're also part of a, 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 a regional group of churches called Every Nation and an international spiritual family called Every Nation. And in, during the month of May, we as a citywide church aligned and preached into our unity as one church. And we had a series that started three weeks ago that's called One. And this was our one sermon series. So once a year, we as a citywide church preach into the same themes. And a couple of weeks ago, we started with our first uh, sermon, and we said, there is one God. This is our confession. There is one God, and we as a spiritual family are called to honor Him. We exist to honor God, and we spoke into that and what that means, and how do we honor God? How do we as a spiritual family honor God? And then last week, we um, spoke into one focus, make disciples. And as a citywide church, we had this privilege of all our leaders preached in different congregations. I had the privilege of uh, preaching at our Linwood congregation, and they're doing well as a church. It was such an honor for me to be there and to pray for them. And thank you for you as well, who were praying for, for Linwood and Mama Lori as in our first service uh, Rudo from our Linwood church was here, and I heard that he preached the chairs on fire. I, I was so scared I didn't have a job coming back on Monday. But Rudo was here, and in our second service, uh, Pastor Sam was here, preached on, on the conviction of making disciples. So the first week we said, honor God. Second week we said, one focus, make disciples. And today we're concluding this series with a specific focus where we are called to build this kingdom. We are one church, build this kingdom. And throughout our city, all our Every Nation churches are concluding this sermon series in this way this morning. We ask the question, if we honor God and we make disciples, then we have to make disciples into something. We, it's onto Jesus, but into spiritual family. And whenever we speak about church, there's this question that pops up. Why church? If any of you have been asked the question, why church? Or been in conversations where people say, the church is not relevant. These are questions that we get quite a lot. These confrontations that we have quite a lot. Why is church important? Is, is church still relevant in the society that we're living in today? Even if you're a Christian and there's this online version of church, is it still necessary to gather together as a spiritual family? Or is this just a group of weird people? Now, good morning. You are all weird. Is this not just one group of weird people that come together on a Sunday and they don't know what they do? Is church still relevant? And that's what we're going to speak into this morning, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. We felt to not just speak about the relevance of church, but show the relevance of church. And we've actually made a documentary as a citywide church. It's a testimony video. Who wants to give honor to God, not lift up our name, but give honor to God through what He's doing in His church and what He has done in the last two years. So I want to encourage you and invite you to watch with me as we look at this story of church and this specific family, our Every Nation Swanee families, story and answer to the relevance of church.
National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown for 21 days with effect from midnight on Thursday, the 26th of March. It is the worst violence in South Africa since the 1990s and the end of the party. Everything. Churches have to stay closed. That's the word from President Cyril Ramaphosa. He announced the latest measures last night. Now, some church leaders have been unhappy about the ban on gatherings, saying that they were not consulted. Those who are cultural, they want to visit and be in the actual building, but for COVID, since COVID came in, it's online now. So. My opinion on church is it's quite split. Um, I generally went to church once every few weeks. I think it also misses the mark maybe sometimes. There's so many religions and we have to respect all religions. You know, you've got the Muslims, you've got the Christians, which I believe is the only two that might be right. Going to church regularly for me uh, alters your personal relationship with God. There is some churches out there that are money hungry, some mega churches and stuff like that, but you know, all of them serve a purpose. I have a lot of discussions with my friends about God and um, what I believe and we debate about stuff a lot. I haven't been to church for many years, I will be honest. Because now the, the millennium, the 2020s, they don't prepare church anymore. But those previous people are cultural people, they have to go to church. Yo, when I think about it back two years ago, it, um, you know, I, I had a, a clear experience. I remember about nine years ago, I was speaking to a group of pastors and talking about just laying strong foundations. And, and I used the metaphor where I say, imagine that the church, um, for some disastrous reason, is closed for three months. What will happen to the church? And when I heard the president make this announcement, that was the first memory that came to thought. It was back in the days, just a thought. And here's the reality. I mean, as, as in my whole history, I've never heard of one nation ever being locked down. And the experience at that moment was just, I, I can't explain to you how many questions in my mind and what's gonna happen to the church? Are people gonna make it? Um, what, what do we need to do now? And how do we sustain this? And how long is this gonna happen? And is this real? Closing the church was the concept. You know, let's the church is closed, the doors are closed, and uh, suddenly we, we have to come back to really, okay, is the church closing? What is church? We have uh, attained a lot of, you know, big faith steps in our Christian life as, as a church, but we have never in our life been part of a lockdown, and we didn't, we had no clarity, and we had no strategy how to lead. You know, one of the, I believe, one of the great positives of this very difficult season is that people's opinion, people's understanding, people's theology of church was tested. What is church? Has the church really closed down? Is it just about a Sunday gathering? Is, it, is church really limited and marginalized to one hour on a Sunday? You know, and Sunday, if you look at the world and how they see church and what church is about and, and, and so on, the, it, it, everything was now up for a major test. And is the church of God really alive and well? So I think, I think the, the crucial part that online church played is understanding that because we believe in the gospel and because the gospel is the truth, uh, we are called to go where people are at. And realizing in the last two years that people are online. 
So as the church, we had a unique opportunity to actually engage on these online platforms to reach the people God's actually called us to reach and not to see technology or um, uncomfortability to really prevent us from going there. So um, I think that's just amazing to hear how the church responded in this time by, you know, breaking the mold and being able to think outside the box, um, to see and to reach people we've been called to reach. If a church is always focused on discipleship and you value discipleship and you really value people, I think um, it will always be not easy but easier to adapt to situations because we one-on-one -on -one has always been possible and it's always been a fact. So I think for us it was we could um, continue with discipleship groups in small groups, we could continue our meeting together on Zoom. It was um, yeah, I just think the church, how everyone responded and started with online sermons within a week of COVID being announced or lockdown being announced. The meeting online created a whole new world of opportunity. We still had our trainings that taught us how to follow Jesus in a more meaningful and impactful way. As Kyla mentioned, discipleship never stopped, but discipleship just means teaching people to follow Jesus as the Bible reveals. The heart stays the same. It's just the method and the medium that has to change to where we are. But the heart that we want to share and that we want to live out never stops. It stays constant. So we always find the Spirit of God giving us the creativity to still reach those that we are trying to get to. So the church was closed. What do we do? The Lord called us in Matthew 28 to go and reach the world. That implies we can't just sit around waiting because for the lost to come to us, we have to be intentional and go and look for them. And the Lord just stirred us with amazing ideas. For example, our road, the Roadside Prayer Initiative, where we, we painted a banner that said, if you need prayer, stop here, with two big arrows. And it was amazing to see how the people just pulled off and asked for prayer. Um, people from different denominations, people who didn't even believe, people who are looking for a fixed hope because they could see and they experience how their hope in medicine and the medical world, their hope in governments, their hope in sports teams have just not worked. Now they're looking for a fixed hope and it was so amazing to be part of God's plan to offer them a fixed hope. And that fixed hope is called, is named Jesus Christ. And um, oh, a lady pulled off, she, she drove past and did a U-turn and came back and um, said she's on her way to the chiropractor. She'd been waiting a month for, a, for a, a, an appointment with the chiropractor. They need to operate um, because her spine is in an S, her one leg shorter than the other, and she's in, in constant pain. And the Lord just said, lay hands on her, pray for her. And we asked if, if she could hop up on the tailgate of my pickup truck. And she said, if we can help her, but she'd, she'd like to sit because she's standing hurts. And we helped her up on the, onto the tailgate and we laid hands on her and we prayed for her spine. We called it in line. We prayed for her leg that was short in the other. And we saw how the Lord just pitched up our fixed hope. And he made that leg grow out. We saw how the leg came in line with the other leg. And she, when we were finished, she hopped off where she couldn't even get up in the beginning. She hopped off. She said she's got no pain. And she's, <laughs> we just saw how the Lord pitched up. When we trust him, he pitches up. And that's just amazing to see how he works. That is the spiritual family being alive and well. The church doors building might have been closed, but our lives were not closed to one another. And that's what I see as a spiritual family. And for us, you know, if I think about spiritual family, you know, we were on the receiving end of that spiritual family as well. Wendy and myself got very, very sick in COVID. And if it wasn't for our spiritual family, obviously we would not have been here today. The day COVID came, the day church doors were closed, people started living those authentic lives from day one. And, and that's really such a beautiful picture of spiritual family. So we were grateful for the fact that, you know, that there was that foundation that, that, that people help us to build that relationship with Christ. You know, lockdown, the moment the president announced that, obviously that was real because we locked in our houses. I mean, people go to the supermarkets, the shelves are empty, it's there. But you know, the, the reality of the, it's, many people speculated, is this real, is it not? Is it kind of some thing thought out by somebody and you know all the speculations and all the stuff out there and you hear almost like a, you see the storm from afar 
and it's there out there and you hear people internationally and we had international leadership meetings and we're here sitting these this place our friends in china we suddenly hear that they had a full lockdown and what happened there and then suddenly hear different places but then suddenly in a like in a split second it was right on our doorstep it was right here in our faces i mean renee and myself WhatsApps we got, suddenly friends, elders, um, this guy's sick, that guy's sick. We dreaded in the morning to put on our phones because not knowing which of our friends going to be sick. By God's grace, we were not sick. We, we were very careful because my in-laws stay with me and don't want them to get sick. And we also realized we need to stay healthy so that we can support because the moment we get sick, we can't support. But I mean, I remember Renee one morning woke up and said, I don't want to put on my phone. I don't want to open up WhatsApps. I don't want to see how many measures are coming through because like six, seven, eight WhatsApps in the morning, this elder is sick, that friend is sick, that guy on staff is sick. And obviously you don't know to what degree they are sick. But I mean, that was just, um, yeah. And I think that third wave was like the craziest of craziest times because um, we, we read on our messages it was oxygen machines and it was hospitals and the hospitals were full and it was like just dead end. Like how are we going to help them if even not the hospitals are open to help these people? And I think the helplessness that we felt like we can't go to them and visit them. We want to also keep ourselves safe because we've got our parents. We just felt helpless. We wanted to help, but we didn't know how to help in a crisis situation like that. So while lying in bed during our COVID and being so sick, um, we had just such incredible friends that just stepped into our lives. People that would just come to our window and stand at our window and just check on us two, three times a day. When are you okay? Pray at our window. The one morning when we woke up, it was a Saturday morning. We, I just heard voices down my home praying over us, rebuking any form of sickness in our lives, coming to actually the one chap actually came down and just to hear if I was still breathing. That's how concerned they were. They had the humidifiers going. Everybody was just trying to see what more they could do for Harry and I. And um, that Saturday afternoon, one of our friends, she came into our home. She already had COVID and she decided she's going to step in and she's going to see what's going on. And then she would give a report to this prayer group that we uh, people were praying for us. And um, she checked on us, brought us some fresh juice, made sure we're trying to eat food. And she said she'll come and check us the next day. Well, the next morning when she came into our home, we were just just lying in our bed we weren't moving and she just phoned one of our friends and said you need to come now we need to get Harry and Wendy into a hospital and um, they didn't ask Harry or myself would you like us to take you to hospital they made the call we were just loaded in a car um, into a, a, um, the vehicle and taken off to a hospital which they'd already planned phoned and got us into hospital and um, just that on its own for someone to walk into your home and make that call it's not just any person it's a person that has walked a journey with you where relationships have been built and trust has been part of that relationship and um in our recovery time, we had so many people coming into our home, dropping food off, making sure we're eating. One family came one afternoon with their little kids sitting on our lawn just to see if we're okay. So when I think of the spiritual family and I see what they did for, for Harry and myself during our COVID journey, I'm forever thankful to the Lord for incredible relationships that he's built in, in our spiritual family that could have made these decisions and stepped into our lives. So I remember um, being called to an online prayer meeting over Zoom where we just interceded for these precious people in our church. and we just lifted them up in urgency before God and, and tapping into the supernatural to say, Lord, we need you, we need you. And would you come through for, for our friends, for our, for our family? And um, wow, what meetings of faith, what meetings of desperately crying out to God. And, and he heard us. It was so amazing. So on 17 June uh, 2021, I woke up that morning with a a fever and not feeling well and 
as I woke up that morning, I just had such a clear um, impression or I felt God telling me that I should prepare myself, that I'm, I'm in for something. I, I almost have to gear myself. Uh, there's a difficult time that lies ahead. And yeah, to, long story short, later on that day, I went to the doctor. I tested positive for COVID. And the following two days uh, was really tough here at our home. Uh, I've uh, rapidly decreased. Uh, I, they couldn't break my my fever. I was really struggling for for to breathe. And um, yeah, on those two days, friends of ours rushed me to the hospital. I think t two times. Um, it just worsened really, really quickly. And then eventually. I was admitted to hospital two days later with a shortness of breath. And what followed was um, yeah, 12 days in hospital that I was on oxygen, um, really struggling and not sure if I might live or not. At that particular stage uh, in June last year when we, we experienced the I would say the biggest wave of, of the waves that we have experienced, which has been the third wave, the Delta variant. I was at that stage leading the, the Linwood congregation as senior leader, but also at the same instance, I was still working at the University of Pretoria um, at a medical research institute. Um, and we actually started a research study on COVID. So I was well aware of, of just all the intricacies of, of the COVID virus, uh, all the implications. I mean, we. We dealt with it daily and um, I remember it was a Saturday morning um, at the studio where we did the recordings um, and when I got to my phone I had about 16 missed calls all from Lindry um, Atkins um, and I immediately knew that look um, the fact that she has phoned me 16 times something is wrong at that stage I did know about um, Jonathan I knew that he attracted the virus um, so I just realized you know, this is serious. So I phoned her immediately um, and she just said to me, please help. Jonathan has collapsed. Um, please can you help? So I got in my car, drove all the way um, you know, to, their, to their house um, to go and see how and if I can help. So if, if I'm honest, um, thinking back, I didn't have a real expectation of the church and how the church should respond. Uh, I didn't really think it through. I think it was such a crazy time in our city. There were so many people that were dealing with their own stuff and um, was themselves facing sickness and facing COVID. Uh, and had family and friends that were struggling. Um, that I didn't really expect people to to do something or the church to to respond in a certain way. That was my expectation. The reality was something completely different. <laughs> what I would really, it's something that I would treasure for the rest of my life. Um, while I was still at home, we had friends that came over knowing that I'm sick and knowing how contagious COVID can be. One of our friends was standing outside our bedroom window and he, he just said, you can't do this. <laughs> so um, he came into my room just to lay his hands on me and pray for me. Placing himself in um, what we would call danger. Um, other friends of ours came into our house. They took care of us while I was still here. The lady made food uh, for us. She made sure we were okay. Um, uh, people organized the oxygen machine to help me. Um, this friend of ours came in and we struggled with the oxygen machine and he, he, they literally just came and served us. And he helped her figure out the oxygen machine and um, it was incredible. Arriving at, at um, Lindry and Jonathan's house, uh, I mean, it was, it was serious. I could see, um, yeah, I could put what I, what I saw uh, to Lindry's just tone of voice, the anxiety, the fear that I, that I experienced over the phone. Um, yeah, so um, there was no way that we could leave Jonathan at home. Um, I mean, the fact that he collapsed as I arrived there, the paramedics were there and they stabilized him. They got him back in bed um, and said, look, there's no way 
that they can take him to a hospital at this stage. So they believe that he's okay uh, for now at home. Um, one, two, that there was not enough beds. Um, yeah, so definitely I believe by God's grace, just my positioning at that stage in the medical environment, uh, I knew a doctor's friend, still know him. Um, I had a friend, I have a friend that, um, that worked at Grundliff Hospital um, at the, at the um, emergency unit. So I phoned him and again, it's just all of this, um, you know, you can just see God's hand. Um, it just happened to be at the time that I phoned him, he was, he was on his way for his, his time slot, uh, his duty schedule. Um, and he said to me, give me an hour, I'll be at the hospital, just bring your friend. Can't promise anything, but at least if we can stabilize him for a period of time, um, let's see. So it was just the, the way that they exposed themselves in a way that they were not afraid of what might happen to them, but just serving and loving. Um, and trusting God that He will protect them while they are being faithful. I think what I expected of the church was um, just maybe praying or checking in on a phone call. But what we got in return was the biggest gift that we have ever experienced, love, that was so practical. Um, people just organizing food for us. Uh, people delivering oxygen machines. Um, one of our friends that just came out of isolation just moved in, in into our home and she served us, she served me and the kids um, by just supporting me. And I, I didn't even dream of people serving in such a practical way. If you were to ask me how, how did the church support us, it was that they went beyond their own comfort and safety and um, even their own challenges. And they loved and supported us in such a way that it, it saved our lives, uh, saved our family. If we don't care for spiritual family, I think something dies in us. Uh, we were made um, to live interdependent, interconnected. Um, we have to care and we have to be cared for, otherwise we'll just die in isolation. I think one of the greatest testimonies from our story uh, comes from one of the nurses when I was discharged. Um, she, she came towards me and she said, <laughs> she said, you must have brother that loves you deeply and really cares for you. But I don't have a physical brother. There was somebody in our church who was constantly finding out if I'm okay. And I, it had such a big impact in her life, just the way that person supported me. And knowing now, um, that is probably one of the things that I cherish the most. You must have a brother. <laughs> By God's grace, we have not had too many people close to us that passed away. We had some of our staff that lost parents. One of my good friends lost his mom, his dad, and his father-in-law. And uh, But I remember one moment, I mean, that one night, the guy worked for me as my personal assistant, Jeff Neal. Um, he was he, he became sick and we had a zoom call and I saw he didn't feel well and and so we kind of a lot of the learned elders got around him and Malus and some of these guys really got involved in walking with him and caring for them and I remember one night I called him I said Jeff how are you and he said to me Phil I'm turning the corner I'm feeling better and it made me feel a little bit you know relaxed and and so on and his, you know I know his wife is with him and I know people are supporting him that night, 12 o'clock, his wife said, I'm gonna call the ambulance. And he said, no, I'm okay, I've turned the corner. And two o'clock that morning, he passed away. And uh, yeah, just hearing that at that moment, there was so, such an impact. And then you realize how short life is. 
um, you know, it doesn't matter our differences and things, a life is still valuable. And uh, I know where Jeff is, he is with the Father, but the reality of those moments where people close to you pass away and you face the reality of death, it makes our lives that are we that are still alive, it makes it so much more valuable. And I hope moments like this stirs us on, you know, and help us to care for those who do not know Jesus. To really make sure when they die, because death is certain, but salvation is not, we have to share the gospel. And so I think if you view the main product of the church as a Sunday worship service, then you would probably feel like the church was closed. Um, but that's, for me, not the way I view church. Uh, church is people. Church is the disciples of Jesus following Jesus together. Uh, it's a it's a very sad thing for me to, to hear that almost in a sense that the church was closed because that it, it says more to me of the person making the statement than it does of the reality of what was happening during lockdown. I lost my job uh, and I had just moved to a new place. You know, we we're preparing for the move, but there was a place that we wanted to move from, and I had given away a lot of my furniture because I knew a move was coming and all these things. And when it hit, it hit me at the wrong time. I mean, I, everything just got messed up. Everything was thrown into disarray. Um, there were some expenses that I had to pay for, for um, Im with immigration too, and that took away so much money from me. Um, my wife was in school at the same time, and with, with my daughter there, and then my wife also got pregnant too, just before the lockdown. So it was, it was a very hectic, intense time very hectic and you know after a couple of months all those savings that I had you know I eaten through them and so I was just in a very difficult spot I was struggling to pay my rent I was struggling to put food on the table I was struggling to provide clothing it was just a very difficult time I really felt that the screws were tightening all around me and I was just hopeless my brother-in-law was serving at the church that I attend now. He was serving in the social responsibility. I didn't even know, you know, what that was in relation to the church, um, in relation to this church. And he said, we want to take your name down and they will contact you and they will help you. So I didn't believe him because I'd feel in many forms throughout the lockdown, you know, for assistance, and none of them had even bothered to uh, to call back. I didn't even get my UIF when I was trenched. Um, so I didn't believe it, but I did it anyway because I was just trying to, I was just pulling at straws. So I was surprised when I got a call from the church. They said, we got your number from your, your brother-in-law and we want to help you. And I was so surprised. And then they began to help me with groceries and a monthly stipend for the kids for the next eight months and even longer than that. Um, and I was just so touched because I'd never been there. I'd never even sent a single church, I mean, a single cent to this church. They didn't know me. There was no benefit in them helping me. There was zero benefit actually in them helping me. Um, and it still amazes me to this day that people would do that to total strangers. Um, but it gave me hope, real hope that I'm aware of for, for our church. Uh, we served more than 340 families during lockdown through various forms of support and relief, be it food vouchers or food parcels that we took to people, um, financial assistance for various things, people that maybe lost their jobs and needed just some form of relief in that space. Uh, raised through our uh, church family raised close to a million rand for that uh, work. Partnered with uh, the Solidarity Fund in distrib distributing uh, food parcels. Uh, we were a partner in, in that. So, I mean, th those are very big but vague testimonies of what happened. And I think it still speaks of something valuable if you think of a million rand being raised by normal just churchgoers 
because they saw the value of serving people. Um, that is the testimony for me. People's hearts that are transformed to the place where they say, Jesus, my money is not my own, it's yours. And I see the need for people that are really experiencing difficult times during lockdown. I'm <clears throat> willing to give. Um, that's a testimony for me. Being on the supporting side was also very traumatic. Um, you would think that we were thankful that we didn't get COVID in that time, the third wave, but it was very traumatic seeing all the people that you love getting COVID. And we knew some of our best friends and the core leaders had COVID in hospital on oxygen machines. And we knew if we just had to think fleshly that they could be next. You know, it was so amazing. I had business people in my church phone me and said, listen, what can we do? People buying oxygen machines out of their pocket, just pay for oxygen machines to make it available because you can't put them in a the hospital. So how do we help our friends at home? Hospital machines. One of my friend's wife is a doctor. Called him and says, listen, I can get you those COVID pills. And uh, I mean, I bought a stack of those pills. And, you know, we suddenly saw the church, like Renee said, wild in their life. As, 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 as difficult and as troublesome the, 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 the storm was, I tell you, I, see, I saw the power of the church of God like I've never seen in my life. People start to take food to people. They risk their lives. People will literally, you know, go the extra mile to make sure somebody has food, somebody are looked after. People who had COVID, like Renee said, we put a WhatsApp, uh, actually a strategy together. We wanted to make sure people get the oxygen, the basics, they get the pills. We had a WhatsApp group of doctors and medical experts that we put in WhatsApp group that we can actually quickly ask wisdom. This situation, that situation, these guys were phenomenal. They would give us I mean, they worked overtime, these doctors. They were tired. They would write out prescriptions so we can get the medicine as quick as possible. And so I saw people just literally put down their boundaries, put down all their limitations and everything else, and care for one another, and, and literally go the extra mile to look after people. And I think um, we never felt alone in, in this crisis or storm helping the people. We had thousands, almost hundreds of people phoning us every day, Renee, how can I help? Mm. It was the best words that I could have ever heard in that storm. How can I help? So many people gave finances. I said, Philip, they're going to give money. They're going to buy an oxygen machine. They're taking food. Everything didn't fall on us. We didn't felt like we had to do everything. There were so many people that came forward boldly, full of faith, to say we are here to help and that made a massive impact. The church was not closed and I think uh, for us also during that, a few things that I could say to you, the church was not closed. Number one, there was an amazing help that was going on. In Mamelodi, we went and distributed 60 parcels of food to the family that they were saying we don't have food tomorrow. And then we, we just, with a with the few days, they gave us that certificate that you can go and help people. We went and did. In Lusaka, at the mountain there, we took food, we took some parcels. And also there was a financial assistance to the people, and an, an amazing fun. A lot of people in Mamelodi, they're selling, in our church, they're selling food in the street corners. They say, we can't sell anymore. When we jump in and we start helping them, it was amazing. But the most powerful thing, there was a lady, you know, that she had a neighbor. You know, she moved in a flat and then she had a neighbor and she could hear that some struggles with the neighbor. And then she started reaching out to the neighbor. And then eventually her neighbor gave her heart to the Lord. And then it, also they started helping there. And you know, for me, it was even a moment to reach out. And reaching out to the Mosferka family during lockdown, it was a powerful moment. Because I think it was the lockdown moment where they started realizing, actually, we need family. They realized, wow, this is spiritual family. And then when we reach out to them with helping them with the food and reaching out to them, it was beautiful. And I think the most beautiful thing also in Mamelodi, what we managed to do, I think almost 11 of our connect groups were going on. You know, if people meeting in small groups of three, they could do it on WhatsApp, it was beautiful. The ladies' connects were really going strong. And our men's connect group, we were going very strong. And then we were meeting, and people were actually they were coming to meet. You know, in WhatsApp, you can have three or five people meeting. And it was it a was cheaper way to meet. 
instead of calling and then we were meeting. Yes, the church was not closed down during lockdown because we were in touch with one another. Even if we couldn't meet physically, but we could contact, we could hear there's a need, but also spiritually we were reaching out to our people. And then in a, in a small group, it was happening. On Sunday, the gathering on Zoom, it was a little bit of a difficult moment. A lot of people couldn't afford with their cell phones. They didn't have the latest cell phones with this modern one. So they have the small, tiny phones, you know, but with WhatsApp, some of them, they could be able to come. So I will say that actually the church was alive. In our context, it was alive during lockdown. At Muzore family, we are not working. And then we depend on selling fed cooks. And then we were selling fed cooks at school. And then at yeah, the weekend, I was, we, were, we are doing door-to-door. -door. We are selling fed cooks in the houses. Come, go and knocking on the door. So during COVID, it, because everything was closed, we were not able to go out. We were not, able, we were not allowed to sell. So it was difficult for us to get any income. So as a mother, who should provide the children? It was difficult for me because I know that children they are going to, to need some food, clothes and everything, even if we are not be able to make an income. So that was why I was in depression because I know that I don't have any income. The church knew our situation that we, we, that our, our, like we, we don't have any source of income right now. But then, and then we, we didn't know how to ask them. They just availed themselves and said, we know your situation. That you know that you know that no, your business have closed. But we are here for you. They, they just come in and we are here for you. And But Pastor said for me and said, Connie, I know what's your situation. And I know that you may be struggling. But don't worry. Because I have your children here and then we are going to give you something. We are arranging something as the church. And then I said, okay, Pastor Sam, I give Pastor Sam some details. My details. And then he phoned me. They gave me food parcels. They've given me food vouchers. And then the way we were eating at COVID, even when our business was running, we were not eating like that. I didn't think it was close because people, they were be able to, to visit at our houses. They were, they were just praying for us. They, that is why they managed to find me that I was depressed. Because if they, they, they didn't visit us, they will never know. Because I was not their member by that time. But they, even if I was not their member, but they, they knew my children. They just come to see how the children are doing. And then when they see the children, they greet their mothers. And that is why I started to go into to Every Nation Church. Because I've seen their love, their support. There were so many people that just made themselves available to just physically do distribution of food parcels or I'm even thinking of uh, we did uh, food vouchers the last few months now as a form of, of assistance to people and that was through someone in our church saying listen we've built this online vouchering system please use it for the church for this um, it's amazing when the church is being church the type of resources that comes through people just saying, I'm available for God to use me. I think if we didn't go on missions or we didn't reach out to the world, we'd have a world that would never understand Jesus, would never be able to experience the fullness of God. Um, because we live in a space that's, a world that's really broken. And God's intention wasn't for it to be broken. And sometimes our lives feel broken, our lives feel like it's falling apart because we don't have the one thing that makes us whole again. And that can only be Jesus. So we got contacted in May to go to this nation in June. And that was crazy because we knew we didn't have finances lying around. We needed to sort out visas and flights. So it was crazy. And we went and we got there and we were supposed to be there for a total of three months helping the team that's there and while we were there Sinead's dad got a bit more sick and within that three weeks he he went to hospital he was on oxygen and a few weeks into a few days into that he went on a ventilator and without explaining all the technicalities that happened there unfortunately three weeks into our trip we lost 
our father. And that was a massive, massive blow to us in that moment. Knowing that we, when we left South Africa, we left in a time that was very, very shaky. There was lots of riots happening. There were things happening close to where our family was living at the time, our parents, and they couldn't even leave their house because places were being burned, shops were being torn down, and we had this massive burden in our heart, like, God, like, why now? It's a few days for us to leave on this trip. Like, what's happening? And lo and behold, the very next day, we find out that Sinead's parents have COVID. And that was a massive blow to us as well. And we asked God, like, do you really want us to go right now? Should we leave now? And God clearly spoke to us and says, no, now is the time. But when we were in this nation and we were amongst the people, figuring out how life works there and getting more of a desire and a love for this place, we heard the news of my dad not being able to make it. And I think that's when I realized how big of a cost it really was. Because I had such a high value for my family. I didn't realize what I'm actually giving up to go when I said yes to go. And I had many questions. I questioned and I said, I don't understand. Why would you take him away when I listened to you? I said yes to you. I didn't do this for my own sake and because I wanted to for my, for my own desires and reasons. But it was for what he told us to do. And I was kind of angry at him at that point because it was very confusing. It was confusing as to why he chose that time. And in the midst of that time, just praying for healing for my dad and, and trusting that he will be okay, we felt so much peace. We felt an overwhelming sense of peace that as if God was right there with us in our lounge on that floor. His arms were around us. We felt that he was there. We felt a sense of security like never before. And where I actually thought, hey, my dad's gonna be okay because I'm feeling that God is saying it's okay and that he's taking care of my family. But why did this happen? Why couldn't I say goodbye to him? So I had a whole bunch of questions that I was journeying with and I realized that this is what sacrifice is because my dad knows him and I know that my dad is now with him and is in complete peace and tranquility and enjoying time with him, with Jesus. But there are people there that don't have that privilege. There are people in this nation that's dying every day, that if they die tomorrow, they won't see Jesus. They, not, they don't have that hope that my dad has. So what is more important then? I realized that in this world, sickness, disease, and tragedies is, is part of what it means to be, to be live in a, in a sinful world. It's part of what we face in this world. And we are not exempted from going through difficulty, going through the storms of life. The fact that there's a storm doesn't change God's heart. Um, he's a God that wants to be in the storm. And His heart for us is the same for everyone. His heart is for us. God is not malicious. God is not um, intent on hurting us and punishing us. He's for us. And even though storms and difficulties is part of this life, God's heart is to be close to us, that we should know Him, regardless of the circumstances of our lives. What I'm encouraged about, and this is something we see right throughout Scripture, throughout the history of church, that through any tribulation, through any trial period, whether it's a storm, whether it was a rough patch, 
that this served as catalysts for the church to grow. And I'm convinced that in these two years, yes, it was tough. And yes, this pandemic has had effects on our mental health and emotional well-being. But I do believe that this will be used as a catalyst to see the church grow and expand to people, to age groups and to nations where you wouldn't necessarily have access to. So I'm convinced that even what we faced, in fact, hasn't slowed down the church, but has almost you know, helped us speed up in the way we think about advancing His kingdom. Yes, I believe storms can push over a church. And yes, I think during the last two or three years in a global pandemic that people have been in or storms that they might have had, some churches might have even closed their doors. But if you ask me whether God's church can close its door, I would say no. Because the church was never a building in the first place. That church was built upon a rock that is unshakable, a rock that can never be moved, a rock that we call Jesus. And in, in this season that I think the church has found itself, has been a season where God has shaken the church, He's moved it around, and for them to actually see and, 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 and almost move the stuff that wasn't supposed to be there. And in that shaking, all of those uh, baggages, all of the, the things that wasn't supposed to be there fell off. And now God allows us to see clearly and saying, now my church, go forth. As we look back, so many churches, even today, are not open. And so many churches have closed down. And we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we building? And I believe years back when God started to challenge me about building on the right foundation, and one of the, I believe, most neglected foundations is a proper discipleship culture where we lay biblical foundation in people's lives, not just through sermons, not just through classrooms, but it's on a personal way, personal level, where we interact with people and, and there's a, 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 a consistent, regular meeting with those people and dive down into the understanding and the convictions and expose the lie and replace those lies with the truth. Now that we were in a storm, and tell you that the people that have been discipled, they made it. And not just made it, they reached out. They were the guys who, who became givers and reaching out and caring about people, and reaching out to lost people because of the Disciple Foundation. It's not our strategy, it was Jesus' command that we should go and make disciples so that when the storm comes, they will stand, they will make it. Any storm of life, doesn't matter what storm will come, doesn't matter how strong the storm, doesn't matter how big the storm, it will never change the truth. The Word of God stands forever. No storm can stop the Church of God. The Church of God is more alive today than ever before. What's your truth about church? This was our story as a spiritual family. And I want to use the opportunity this morning to, to honor us as a family. And I want to ask if you, in whatever way, contributed to this story, if you were church in the last two years, meaning you were praying for people, you were giving financially, you were handing out food, you made food, you went to people's houses, you, you served, you gave yourself. Uh, would you be so kind as to stand in this moment? If you in any way served in this last two years? And if you've benefited in any way, from people like this serving in the last two years, would you also stand? Meaning you received food, you received prayer. Awesome. Thank you. It's two words that falls infinitely short. 
but it's two words that carries the weight of the character of God. Thank you not just for serving and giving and being there, but thank you for exposing God in a very practical way to the world. Thank you for being church. Thank you for being willing to go beyond yourself, your own comfort, so that others may experience God. As a person, on behalf of our church and myself, thank you falls infinitely short. But I do hope that God blesses your heart and your soul this morning. And even if you're not here, you've been part of this season, that you would experience God saying, well done, good and faithful child. May you never stop being church, not for the sake of being on a Sunday together, but for the sake of the world to see and experience God. Thank you so much. Let's give him a hand. May we as a spiritual family continue to be church. I thought about how do you wrap something like this? How do you continue from this moment? And uh, I was uh, reminded of something I wrote in my journal last year um, uh, at the end of my hospital vacation. Um, Last two days, I took a time uh, just trying to reflect over everything and just thinking and praying about this moment yesterday. I was reminded of this thing that I wrote down last year. Now, it might be a little bit dramatic, but remember where I was. Um, This is from my journal. One of the greatest gifts, God. This was not a good idea. (laughs) One of the greatest gifts God has given us is the community of believers. When the storm comes, who is there with you? Who strengthens you when you have no strength? Who prays for you when you cannot pray? And who speaks life when you have no more words? The love, prayer, and support of others is crucial to make it through the storms of life. Community does not just happen. It's a gift of God. But you need to give yourself to others to experience it. In my personal capacity, I had the privilege of experiencing it. The community of believers and this spiritual family. And it's my prayer that you would continue to experience spiritual family. Not just a church that gathers on a Sunday. Jesus um, said in Luke 6, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck, the house could not shake it because it was well built. Next slide, please, guys. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck, the moment the storm came, that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Part of putting Jesus' word into practice is to build your life on that what he put in place. Build your life into spiritual family. The church was and will always be God's plan. It's not a man-made idea. And part of putting our words into practice, applying His truth, is committing our life to spiritual family. Build your life into the community of believers that God has placed you in, not just for the storms of life, but for the eternal purpose of life. Church, with all its faults and all its mistakes, 
It's still God's plan. It's still His design. And it's still His chosen vehicle to reach the nations for eternity. What are you building your life into? And as a church leader, it's impossible for me to know every one of you and know every struggle and storm that you might be going through. But I do hope there's people in this spiritual family that you've allowed into your life to be family for you. I hope there's people in this spiritual family that can be that community when you go through a storm. And I do hope that you are able to serve others within this family because you are close to them. Build your life into His family, His church. And there, through this church, we will build the kingdom of God. I want to ask the band to come and join me in the front. When we gather as a church, there's a couple of things that happens. question was, what's your truth about church? What's your truth about community? When we gather as a church like this, part of the purpose is to stir each other up and to build each other's faith up and to encourage each other, to be there for each other. Part of it is to align our faith with the words of God, to challenge us to to live the life that's worthy to Jesus. But part of being church is to help shape our theology about God. Through this, we learn who is God. And when you go through the storm, it's too late to try and build community. Community should have been built. Relationships should have been established. When you go through the church, through the storm, it's too late to shape your theology about God and eternity. It's too much emotions. It's too many things screaming out. In that moment of the storm, you hold on to the truth that's in your heart. And through a community of believers, we build our theology and understanding of who God is, regardless of the storms. And sometimes we celebrate the outcome of the storm as the greatest testimony. If someone survived, we received provision, and we're thankful for that moment, but I'm so encouraged by Sinead and Kylan's story. They did not receive the desired outcome. Some of us are sitting here and you did not receive your desired outcome. Our testimony that we celebrate is not the desired outcome of the storm. The testimony that we celebrate is that in the middle of the storm, there's a great God who's with us. And even though we might go through stuff, He says He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And He will carry us through the storms if we allow Him to. That's our theology of God, that God is for us. He's a personal God. And He, regardless of what we might go through, He is with us. He is good and He's loving. He's kind. And He's got a heart for every person. So I want you to stand this morning. And before we declare just what we believe about God, I want us to take an opportunity to pray towards God. And there where you're standing, this is an opportunity to either thank God for something in your life. Thank God for what He has done. Thank God for who He is. Maybe thank God for the people that He's placed in your life. Thank God for community of believers around you. Maybe it's a time where you have to say, God, I'm sorry I've been living for myself. Would you help me to build community? Lord, where do you want me to commit into family? Maybe you're standing there and you're disappointed in God. This is an opportunity to say, God, I'm disappointed. Maybe your heart's sore this morning. Say, God, I'm, I'm heart sore. Just where you are, would you take a moment? Let's pray. This is your moment with God. Lord, today we don't just want to celebrate and be thankful for the outcome of the storm. We want to be thankful that we may know you and know your people, know your purposes, that we may experience you and experience your people. 
And Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for great testimonies. But more importantly, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that because of you, we can stand here this morning with a hope in our hearts. Thank you that because of you, we can stand here this morning with the assurance of our faith, the assurance of life after death, Lord. Thank you that because of you, Lord, we can have joy in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. And Lord, thank you that we can have an everlasting peace because of who you are. And Lord, I want to pray this morning. And I want to pray that by your grace, that you would pour out your spirit in us as a church. You know each one of us. You know what we're going through. You know what we're facing in this moment, Lord. And the greatest prayer that we can pray now, Lord, is pray that we may experience your presence. Would you come and minister to our hearts, Lord, as we turn our eyes onto you, Lord, and we declare our faith on who you are. May you be the one that ministers. May you be the one that makes us aware of your presence, Lord. May you be the one that come and change us in such a way that our lives reflect that you are God and we are not. That you are worthy and all honor and praise is bestowed for you alone. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We believe you are good, you are faithful, you are loving and kind. Your grace is enough. And I pray this morning for your grace to be enough for us as a church. Thank you, God. Let's worship God together. Let's just declare what we believe.